0: Well, good morning, Walnut Hill. It's good to see you today. For those of you who might be new, my name is Becca Mowry, and I'm our worship and arts director at the church. So you will most often see me on stage behind a guitar, but it's a real privilege to be able to be here to share from our sermon series on Jesus Is. And uh, before we get too far into that, I wanted to welcome our campuses. Thank you, New Milford, for being here with Andy. So glad you're here. Welcome. And our Waterbury campus with Pastor Brian and also our Derby campus with Pastor Joshua. It's great to be able to feed and feast on the Word of God together as a church family. We are going to be camped out in uh, Matthew 26. Matthew's our first gospel in the New Testament. And so we're going to read a couple passages from the 26 chapter. So if you want to turn there. And our subject today is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, amen. Yes, that's right. And I just want to encourage you, you know, a couple weeks back, remember Brian had talked about leaving the lights on. Your trick-or-treaters know you're home and you're available. They know that they're welcome when you leave the lights on. So let's leave the lights on. Let's make our hearts and our minds available to all that the Lord wants to do, how he wants to speak, how he wants to change and transform us. How he wants to realign us today. Jesus is Lord. I was thinking a lot about this passage over the last couple weeks. And it got me thinking about how many churchy words we have. We have a lot of churchy words, don't we? Some words and some sayings that might be a little abstract. And Lord is one of those words. Because we actually, we don't really use it in the U.S. here. We don't call somebody Lord. Lord. A couple, uh, well, actually several years ago, uh, our former senior pastor, Clive, brought in one of his friends from England and it was Lord Mowinney. And I could not even bring myself to like greet him as Lord. That just seemed so foreign to me. I think I called him Mr. Mowinney, and I probably offended him. But Lord is one of those words that we don't really use here. So it kind of has that abstract meaning. Uh, another phrase we use in the church all the time, fellowship. Let's get together in fellowship. Can you imagine using this word in another context? The business meeting, we're going to fellowship today as we go over the budget. Or if somebody called you and was like, hi, I would like um, Bria to come over and fellowship with my kids today. I don't know. No, I'm sorry. You're a weirdo. We don't use that word outside of church. So fellowship is one of those words. Or how about some words that we use a lot that have lost their luster because we've maybe used them too much. Amen. Do you know what amen means? It means so be it. It's such a powerful word. It's the last word in scripture. So be it. So be it. And we, me, probably more than anyone else in this room, I use this word. We use it as like a filler statement or a transition. So we have these words and we can say things and believe things and utilize sentences and phrases that become so common. And we can use them and and not always grasp their significance. I think we see this all throughout the Gospels with the disciples. They believed Jesus was their Lord. They called him their Messiah. And yet when he calms the wind and the waves, it says they were amazed. They were amazed. You can almost picture them, you know, saying to one another, yeah, I believed he was Lord, but now, now I believe he is Lord. Or maybe you've experienced this. We believe as Jesus's followers, that Jesus is healer. Jesus is a healer. His word says it. His word says he heals. And so we believe that he's a healer. And then when you've been healed by him, or when you've prayed for someone and they've been healed by him, you think, I believe that Jesus was healer, but I believe I believe at the core of who I am. You know it to be true in a different way. And so I think in life sometimes we can have certain Christian beliefs and and, and say certain things, practices and principles and ideals that we adopt, even a mission. But in our belief and even in our embrace of some of these things, their meaning has lost a little bit of its significance. I want you to flip into uh, Matthew 26 now, and we're gonna read two different passages. We're gonna read a section, verses 31 to 35 and 39 to 75. This will come up on the screens as well. So we're gonna read first out of 31, and this is, Jesus, this is where um, Jesus predicts the, uh, Peter's denial. So they're all together in the Last Supper. And then this is where this phrase pops in. It says, verse 31, Then Jesus told them, This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. And then we flip over to verses 69 through 75. Now Jesus has been arrested and he's being held as a prisoner. And Peter is hanging around outside wondering what in the world to do next. And so then we pick up here. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. "'You also were with Jesus of Galilee,' she said. "'But he denied it before them all. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' he said. "'Then he went out to the gateway "'where another servant girl saw him "'and said to the people there, "'This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth.' "'He denied it again with an oath. "'I don't know the man.' "'After a little while, those standing there "'went up to Peter and said, "'Surely you are one of them. "'Your accent gives you away.' "'Then he began to call down curses "'and he swore to them, "'I don't know this man.' Immediately the rooster crowed. Then then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Today I want to ask you three questions as we chew on this passage. And the first question is, is Jesus Lord over your moments? It's interesting reading these two passages back together, back to back, isn't it? because you you can't help but wonder what in the world happened. Peter just said he would die with Jesus and just hours later, he's denying Jesus. What in the world happened? I mean, this is Peter who saw Jesus do incredible things. Absolutely incredible things. This is the Peter who walked on water to Jesus. And now he's saying, I don't know. You don't know what you're talking about? I don't know this man. What happened? I wonder if, if Peter wasn't kind of looking for the main event to make Jesus famous. I wonder if he envisioned himself standing before the masses of people, standing on the big stage with the lights and the haze, standing before all the Platonic scholars and the Greek philosophers, Declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. I wonder if that's how he always saw himself. I went to college in Kentucky, a small college in Lexington, and a lot of my friends were from Nashville. And as many of you know, Nashville is the hub of Christian and country music. And so we would hang out um, all the time, several weekends in Nashville, and I got to know a bunch of different people down there. And uh, we were, one night, I was hanging out with a bunch of friends, we were at a party, we were all fellowshipping, and um, uh, I got in a conversation with some, you know, pseudo-intellectual musician, and he was going on and on and talking to me about how, you know, I'm leaving the Christian music industry, and I'm going to actually be transitioning into the country music industry. Okay. And he goes on to tell me, he's like, because you know, Becca, it it, it is Becca, right? Becca, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Well, you know, Becca, can you imagine for a moment me standing on the stage with my Grammy giving Jesus credit? I don't know what I said in that moment, to be honest. But I do remember thinking, God doesn't need to make us famous to make him famous. He already is famous. Peter, I wonder if he saw him changing the minds of the masses. Influencing influencing all those people who could influence society. But now... Jesus is arrested, and he's sitting around a fireplace, and he's sitting around in the courtyard with a bunch of unimportant nobodies who are pestering him, and he dismisses the moment entirely. I don't know what you're talking about. I actually wonder if Peter even recognized this as a denial. Because it's not until after the third denial and the rooster crows that he actually was remorseful and went away and wept bitterly. I wonder if he even recognized this as a denial Surely this isn't a denial. This is a nobody's servant girl. And he dismisses it. He dismissed the moment. But imagine for a moment if he didn't. What if he didn't dismiss that moment? What if she talked about him being, when when that question was asked or that phrase was posed to him, you know Jesus? What if he said yes? What would have happened on the other side of his yes? You like that, Brian? Hashtag I'm your biggest fan. For those of you who are new, my my husband wrote a book on that. But no, really, what would have happened if Peter would have said yes? What if he would have taken advantage of this opportunity and said, yeah, I know him. And let me tell you a few things about him. And he went to talk about nets being miraculously filled. And he went and talked about water being turned into wine. And he went and talked about how Jesus spoke and the storm stopped. And he went and talked about how people were healed. And he saw people raised from the dead. Oh, and by the way, mark my words. Jesus says he's gonna rise again in three days. And I don't know how it's gonna happen, but the whole world's gonna change. So you just wait. What a moment that could have been. But he missed it. He missed it. And the more I get to know Jesus, the more I realize it's these seemingly insignificant moments in our lives that are the main event. These are the main events that change our nature, that transform us when we respond the way that Jesus has called us to respond, when we take hold of these moments and let Jesus lead us through them. These are the main events. This is the person Jesus would have ministered to, The insignificant nobody servant girl, these are the people that Jesus loved, that Jesus sought out, that Jesus ministered to. How many times, how many times have I missed these moments in my life? Full disclosure, as I was preparing this sermon, I was rethinking about the story of this musician guy, and I was thinking about all the snarky things I wish I would have said to him to put him in his place. And I'm thinking about all these, like, you know, comebacks that I could have had. And this is what I hear Hello. Hello, Becca. This was a ministry moment and you missed it. And it took you 25 years in preparing a sermon to even recognize it. And I think, isn't that the way it is? Isn't it so easy to see how other people miss their moments? What they should have said what they should have done. It's so easy to see how other people miss their opportunities, but not see how we've missed them ourselves. Isn't that speck in your neighbor's eye? Sometimes like casting that offensive glare in the log in my own eye. Peter missed it. I missed it. (laughs) And Peter missed it. When we say Jesus is Lord, we need to make him Lord over every moment. And then, question number two for you today Is Jesus Lord over your mission? Peter denies Jesus again, and he says, I don't know this man. You know, Peter could have said a dozen other things. Have you ever thought about that? Why did he say this? I don't know this man. I wonder if in his discouragement and in his confusion, he didn't actually mean this statement. Sure, this was a denial. I actually wonder if this wasn't a confession. I don't know this man. Peter thought he knew Jesus's mission. Mission, the destination, the things that they were set out to do, the goals that they wanted to to accomplish. And I can imagine him sitting in this courtyard, completely bewildered about what's going on, recalling different words that Jesus had said over their three years of ministry together. Okay. Jesus said his kingdom is forcibly advancing. Okay. Okay. Got that one. Um, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Okay. Okay. He was going to usher in a new kingdom. Yeah, okay, I'm on track with that. He was going to tear, he was going to tear down the, the temple and rebuild it again in three days. But now what, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I have these words and now Jesus is arrested and oh my goodness, he went peacefully. He went peacefully. This isn't how things are supposed to be. I signed up for a religious and a political revolution. I didn't sign up for this. What in the world is going on? I don't know this man. I don't know him. I wonder if this wasn't a confession in that moment. You see, Peter spoke the same language as Jesus. He had the same theology, he saw the same things, but somehow he missed the mission. Imagine for a moment that we're all going hunting. I'm a Minnesota girl, hunting season, hunting and fishing season are really big. So we're all on a hunting mission together. And I give you this picture. And I say, this is what we're going after. The mission depends on it. Don't you bring me back anything else. This is what we're getting. This is what we're hunting for. You get ready. You get your equipment. You get your strategy. All right, this is what we're going after right here. Put that picture back up, James. (laughs) This is what we're going after. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Everything depends on you coming back with this. I'm guessing we're not coming back with the same things. I think some of you are coming back with rabbits and some of you are coming back with ducks. You see, we are looking at the same thing, but we are not seeing the same thing. We're on a mission for Jesus. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. I always heard people say that. I actually love that phrase. We're on a mission for Jesus. You sure about that? Because if it doesn't look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, sound like Jesus, smell like Jesus, taste like Jesus, act like Jesus, let me tell you what, church, it ain't Jesus. That's not Jesus. I think we need to ask every single moment for Jesus to recalibrate our hearts, for Jesus to realign us once again with his mission, and for Jesus to let us know maybe where we've gotten it wrong, because we don't want to end up scaling the walls to the wrong kingdom. We are about ushering in the kingdom of Jesus, and we all need to know that we are on the same mission. I wonder if Peter didn't recall these words from Jesus that we find in Luke. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Moments matter. The mission matters. And our methods matter. Is Jesus the Lord of your methods Peter denies Jesus again. And he says, I don't know this man. And this time pretty adamant. He's quite adamant about it. And the rooster crowed. And I can only imagine in that moment hearing that rooster crow, Peter just thinking to himself, I missed it. Wait a minute. How did I miss it? You're laughing because we've interrupted this serious moment with an absolutely ridiculous picture of a rooster. I raised chickens this spring, and I ended up with three roosters, who have now been relocated to a farm far, far away. We, we, we raise silky chickens, and they are absolutely ridiculous. They're pretty funny. But one thing I learned about roosters is that they don't just crow in the morning. They crow all day long. All day long, starting at 5 a.m. to about an hour after sunset. And one night we had a bonfire and out came the roosters, starting crowing again, just seeing the fire. These next couple days where Jesus was in the grave, Jesus had died. I can only imagine must have been the most intense wrestling match For Peter, as he heard the roosters crow over, and crow over, and crow, and crow, and crow, and every single time they crowed, he must have thought, I denied him. I missed it. Oh my gosh, I denied him. It must have been turmoil. Turmoil these days. James, you can take that picture down. Nobody's listening to me right now. (laughs) Because it's such a ridiculous chicken. But he must have missed, I mean, it it must have been so long because I picture roosters and chickens wandering around all over the place. I don't know why I do that. I've never been to Israel. But I picture chickens at this time just crowing all the time, these roosters crowing. And it just being that constant reminder to Peter that he denied Jesus, that he missed it. And then all of history has changed and Jesus dies and he's raised again on the third day and we read in the book of John that he appears on the beach as the disciples are out fishing. And once they realize it's Jesus on the pe- beach, Peter dives out of the boat and goes and stands and goes and stands before Jesus. And you can almost picture him, right? He's just sopping wet, staring at Jesus, terrified and excited and ashamed but overwhelmed with love. And he probably doesn't even have to say anything. You can just picture him looking at Jesus with all of these emotions rushing through him like I missed it. Jesus knowing what he's thinking, I missed it. I denied you. I can't believe I did it. How did I do it? What happened? And then we read in that last chapter of John. Peter looks or Jesus looks at Peter and he says, "If you love me, feed my sheep." And I wonder if, like that, in a moment, Peter didn't get it. That's what I missed. I missed the way of Jesus. I missed the methods of Jesus. I missed the methods of the kingdom of God. I missed it. I love to bake and I love to cook, but I do not love reading recipes. And so, typically, what I'll do is I will find the recipe of the thing that I want to cook, and then I skip down to the ingredients list, and I get all the ingredients, and then, you know, I can usually figure it out. And um, so, one day, my girls came to me and said, Mom, 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 we want to make macaroons. I said, oh, great. Now, this was before I became an expert baker by watching the Great British Baking Show, which is one of my favorite shows. But, um... They said, like, yeah, let's make macarons. So I looked, I looked at the ingredients. I'm like, there really aren't that many ingredients. So grabbed all my ingredients and we whipped it all together and we cooked them. And it was a huge failure. I mean, just a massive failure. I had all the right ingredients, but I had the wrong method. You see, the, the process and the steps and the waiting and the resting and the timing and the technique, it all mattered. The method was of vital importance to the outcome. And in this case, the edible outcome. And I would have done a huge disservice to the baking community and to dessert enthusiast, the enthusiasts and to the dessert of macaroons. If I would have packaged this up and marketed it as a French delicacy, that would have been a huge disservice to everyone we can have all the right ingredients for serving up Jesus to the world. We can speak the language and we can have the right theology and the right habits and the right positions and the right policies. But if we miss the methods of Jesus, we miss the kingdom of Jesus. And like my macaroons, Our efforts to advance the kingdom of God will be an unrecognizable mess that people spit out. Standing on the beach that day and Jesus reinstates Peter, I bet Peter committed, I will never, I will never miss the moments I will never miss the mission and I will never miss the methods of Jesus again. Because you flip over a few pages in your Bible to Acts 3 and we read an amazing story about Peter and John. They're on their way to church, right? They're walking to church and they see right at the temple gate, a lame beggar sitting there. And he says, hey, help me out. Can I get some money? And Peter looks at him and he said, hey, listen, I don't have any money. I'm paraphrasing right now. If you didn't know this, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. You see, I'm not that popular anymore. I'm not speaking and preaching the words of the religious zealots about government takeover. I'm not doing that. So I'm not very popular anymore. But let me tell you what I have. I got something better. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that man, he got up and walked. And I promise you, I promise you, nobody remembered what the message in church was that day. Because the message that they came away with was Jesus is Lord And Jesus is powerful. And he is Lord over everything. That was the message that people came away with. And let me just say this to you. We can legislate all sorts of wonderful things into action, and we should. I hope every single person in this room and every single person watching is going to vote on Tuesday. Christians should be the most informed voters, the most loving voters. We should be the people who are filling the ballot boxes with love and kindness in the way of Jesus that First Peter tells us, with love and compassion. We should be informed, and we should change our communities. We should steward our responsibility to vote. But I'm gonna tell you what. The kingdom of God is not ushered in through legislation. It is ushered in with a conversation. We cannot legislate heart change. We cannot legislate surrendered lives. We can't do it. And we cannot legislate the kingdom of God. Somebody agrees with me. We can't do it. And so that happens With a conversation, church, we need to start grabbing hold of these moments with a laser focused vision on the mission of Jesus and a life that just radiates, that overflows and oozes Jesus, his love and his methods and his character all over the world. The equation is simple our methods, our kingdom. His methods, his kingdom. In the book of Exodus, Moses goes up a mountain to meet with God and God gives him the design for a tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was before Solomon built the temple and the tabernacle was, was like a, a mobile church. It was the place that God's presence would dwell and people would find forgiveness of sins and purity and people would find their identity there. This is who they were, the people who tabernacled with God. And so God tells Moses how to build the tabernacle. And he says this, oh gosh, I love this. He says, see that you make it according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In other words, God's saying, make sure to do things my way, not your way. If we want the presence of God to break out in revival, renewing the hearts and drawing this world to himself, we need to do it in the ways that Jesus has taught us. The methods matter, church. I want to close with a question. And this is an inventory question, okay? This is not like a... a, meaning like a sh- to cause shame or anything for you. It's, a, it's just an inventory question. And it's really good that we take inventory every day. This is why we say, spend time with the Lord. Get to know him, but allow him to show you where you're at. Because if we never know where we're at, we will lose our way to where we're going. And so I want to ask you an inventory question. Ask this of yourself. How many times... Have I failed to make Jesus the Lord over the moments, the mission, and the methods of my life? And as I was doing this this morning, I realized I can't say my life. I miss it too often. How about this week? Let's just start with this week. Lord, where have I missed it? Lord, where have I been too busy and too distracted? Where I set my sights on the main stage And I've missed the moments to steward right in front of me. Where have I wasted precious time scaling the walls to the wrong kingdom? How many times have I tried to force your hand, Lord, by taking things into my own hands and doing them my way rather than trusting that your way has a lot of power? I believe that the kingdom of God ways are the ways that will change us, our communities and our world forever. And so the new, the, the Bible is filled with kingdom of God ways. They're very, very exciting, kind of confusing. Not sure if I totally buy into all of them. I mean, I know that they're true, but I'm like, come on in my own blindness and i understand I'm like, Lord, how does this really happen? But anyway, I want to show you one kingdom policy, one kingdom principle of Jesus. And it's, My favorite one is called The Principle of the One. I've titled it. That's not in the Bible. I call it The Principle of the One. And we've learned this out of uh, Luke 15, when Jesus tells a parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Jesus cares about the one. And so we need to care about the ministry of the one. All right? And I know some of you are thinking, Becca, we can't change this world one person at a time. Come on. That's inefficient. Okay. Turn the lights on. All right, Jesus tells us to do it. So we, sh- we need to be doing this. All right, so I want to tell you one, one's principle. principle. Kingdom principle of the one. 300 people, take 300 people. There might be 300 people in this room right now. Maybe 300 people watching right now. You take 300 people and you say, will you commit to telling somebody about Jesus this week? I'm not saying Christian rhetoric. I'm not even saying pray the sinner's prayer. Although if that happened, that'd be awesome. What I'm saying is tell people how you were once lost, but now you're found. What has Jesus done in your life? What is he saying to you? How has he changed you? Has he healed you? Has he touched you? Is he redeeming you? Is he transforming you? Share that story with someone else. And then say this, go and do likewise. Listen, I'm gonna pray for you this week. I'm gonna pray that God speaks to you. And when he speaks to you this week, will you tell someone this week? That's the mission. 300 people. By next week, there's 600 people. 600 people becomes 1,200 people. Now, this is what I call the go and do likewise formula, or as mathematicians call it, the sequence of duplicity. All right? Do you know by January 1st, by January 1st, 38,400 people will be witnesses for Jesus? That's seven weeks. You can't tell somebody about Jesus once a week? Fine, once a month. In seven months, that's a very impressive number. Fine, seven years. Commit to once, 300 people once a year telling somebody about Jesus and telling them to go and do likewise. In seven years, 38,400 people, that's bigger than Bethel. That's bigger than New Milford. That's bigger than Derby. And if we want to go two more weeks to week nine, now we're bigger than Waterbury. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty powerful to me. The power of one what Jesus does with small numbers is amazing. Read about it. That is a kingdom principle. That's a kingdom principle. I know some of you are thinking, 300 people aren't going to do that. Fine. Let's start with 30 people. Let's take 30 people. If there are not 30 people in this church that would tell pe- people about Jesus, we got a problem. 30 people. 30 people become 60 people in one month. Let's just do it once a month. Realistic numbers, okay? 30 people become 60 people in one month. Do you know by next year at this time, 61,440 people will know Jesus and it started with 30? It started with 30? Church, does that get you excited? I'm super excited about that. That's amazing. Do you understand how we can mobilize the kingdom of God one life at a time? We just, we just need to surrender to it. We just need to trust Jesus at it. All of those things that I was saying, oh my gosh, Lord, how would this ever happen? That's how it happens. It actually works if we would just trust him. It's not his kingdom principles and his ways that don't work. It's us failing to live it out, failing to commit to it. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, church, We need to start trusting him at his word and make him Lord over our moments. We need to make him Lord over our mission and have him recalibrate us every day. And we need to make him Lord over every single method, everything that we do. And all God's people said together, amen.